0: If you're visiting with us tonight, you're our honored guest. So glad you're here. And I hope you came tonight expecting to hear about Jesus Christ because he's the only hope that any of us have. And I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't preach Christ because the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul. The one that was, the, that was sent to the Gentiles, he said, I'm only going to know Christ and him crucified. Now that meant a lot of things. It didn't just mean that there were teaching about the fact that Jesus was born or that he lived and died and that he was buried and rose again. Those are the central pieces of the gospel. It meant a lot more than that. In fact, the God God of heaven helped us understand Jesus in a variety of very vivid ways and he would use analogy after analogy to say, okay, if you don't get that he is this, then get that he is this. And if you don't get that he is this, then then you're going to get that he is this. And so he he shared it in a thousand different ways. I don't know if you have ever been in a great teacher's classroom. I've had the ability to have, I probably had five really amazing teachers in my life in the classroom and one of the one of those that was just so amazing is she uh, taught algebra and if you teach algebra here bless your heart because there are kids like me that needed another way and maybe another way and and then another way and so she would do that and she would say do you get that and she would check for understanding of whatever it was i never understood algebra uh, the the really the the whole reason why behind it but she really believed in algebra and she made me want to understand it just because she was so passionate about it. Well, God wants you to understand Jesus. He wants you to understand his words. He wants you to understand his message. Because in his message there comes freedom. Last night we talked about uh, a lot about fixing our eyes or opening our eyes to see Jesus. And there are so many things that take our eyes off of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because that's who we're talking about tonight. Jesus is the one that could say, I am the I am. He's the only one that could walk the earth that has ever been able to say that. It offended people that did not like what that did to their position in view of his teaching. There were people that would look at him and say, you know, goodness... If you're going to say, I'm the I am, you're going to say, the Father Abraham, and then you're going to say things like, I was before Abraham, I can't go with you there. Of all the things that we need to make sure we understand is that we never have an opinion about Jesus. We never have an opinion about the words of Jesus that changes our just basic childlike mentality of, we're talking about the one that died, that shed his blood, and was able to say, I love you this much. I love you enough to take all of your sin and wrap it on my back. I love you enough to take all the mistakes that you've made and all the guilt that you bear and all the things that you can't do one thing about yourself. I'm here doing it for you. That's the one that we're asking you to listen to. That's the one that can set you free with his very message tonight. Well, again, we get right in to the sermon uh, talking about the fact that God chose to speak through Jesus. He was the, the centerpiece of, of God's salvation. The Bible says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had in himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's a story as we get into this about who Jesus was and how, how important it was to understand who he was. When the Bible says that he, by his word, who being the, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and he holds everything by the word of his power. In Matthew, the 17th chapter, the story of Jesus, he takes Peter, James, and John. Sometimes you just get closer to some people. I've always wondered, why weren't all the the apostles with him? Well, why do you have about five good friends? Why is it that I'm not best friends with every single uh, preacher on the preacher's list like Frankie? Why is that? Well, it just is what it is. Jesus wasn't either. Jesus had his best friends, you might say, and they were Peter, James, and John. They understood him. They were right there in the thick of it all with him, and they traveled with him. And they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration that we call it in Matthew the 17th chapter. And Jesus is there and it's such a magnificent event that the Bible says that Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus as his clothes are changed into an immortal state. And it was so bright and amazing that you kind of feel sorry for the Apostle Peter. Have you ever had one of those moments where, you, you know, you were so enraptured by it, your brain was in neutral but your mouth was in overdrive? He had one of those moments. I can relate to those moments a lot. So he says, let's build a church or a tabernacle, one for, one for you, Moses, one for Elijah, and let's build one for Jesus too. And the Bible says a voice came from heaven that made the apostle Peter fall on his face, and it was the voice of God the Father. And he said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. To all those, to all those that would ever look at Jesus as the Savior without someone who had a message that was transformational, Listen to what God said. Look, this is the one that is the express image of my glory. This is the one that is the express image of my person. In John the 14th chapter, as Jesus was explaining the fact he was going to go away, he told them there's something that they really had not yet comprehended and that was that... You've seen the Father. And Philip says, whoa, haven't seen him. I missed that part of your sermons. Been with you for a while now. Show us the Father of all the things you really want to know and all the things you really want to see. One of the things you really want to know and one of the things you really want to see, you want to see the Father. Well, how do you do that? How is it that you see the Father? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Of all the things that wrap your mind up in a mental pretzel, The one thing that does me is thinking about God. Thinking about an immortal God that's a spirit. A God that chose to display His power to the Israelites in literally splitting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army. The one who would lead His people with a pillar of fire and a cloud. His Shekinah glory. A one that whenever they were at their most infant, really baby state of learning to trust Him as they were in the wilderness, would feed them with manna, and when they complained about the manna, He would give them fat quail to pick up. And look at Jesus. He was the one that would come in that very same way. And as the disciples should have known better, and they should have learned, and they should have understood Him, He would say, How long have I been with you, and you still don't understand me? Jesus is the express image of God the Father. Their very nature is displayed in Scripture and Revelation. And here the Bible plainly says that He is the express image of His glory and He holds everything by the word of His power. Incredible teaching that Jesus gave. The bottom line is Jesus is the one that is the centerpiece. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is the one that God wants us to listen to today. We keep going. God sent Jesus to make sons of God. That's good for us. Really, really good for us. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's Jesus. The Bible says, "...inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham." Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. There's a lot in this. First of all, in order for the perfect sacrifice to happen, there had to be the perfect sacrifice on the earth, and he was made a little lower than the angels. The angels are not to be trifled with. The angels are incredibly powerful beings. I'll try to get this right tonight. The angels are incredibly powerful beings. We talked about this last night just for a second, but I want to expound upon it. When the Bible says that he was made a little lower than the angels, and it goes down here and goes into great detail describing the fact that that he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, you cannot imagine what a good deal that is for you and for me. Here it is. The great deal of this is that God basically allowed his son to walk down here and become like us. He put on flesh and blood. Philippians 2 would say, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be, it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. How does a king... The king of all kings, leave glory, leave the presence of all the angels that when he spoke would go, when he would say that is exactly what would happen. He left all of that in perfect communion and fellowship with God and he came down here and he lived on the earth as the perfect sacrifice. He was the one that his cousin John was baptized in the Jordan River and he would see Jesus coming and he would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the angels... He said he was made a little lower than the angels. But then the Bible says that God gives aid to us, but he doesn't give aid to the angels. What did he mean by that? Well, here's the deal. When Beelzebub or Satan, that is the devil, the one that has some influence over death, the one that wants to make you die, he is limited in his scope of operation today because of the power of God. God limits him a couple of ways. One of them is he limits his ability to to cause you death. We're all going to die, but there's also a... A fact of God's going to let us live a certain amount of time on the earth, some a little, some more. We don't know the reasons why of why all that is, but we do know that if Satan had his way, he would wipe all of us out in this room. So God limits him. He also limits Satan's ability to overpower you with temptation. He does not give temptation or the tools of Satan, the devices of Satan, the ability to override your free will. He cannot read your mind. He cannot climb into your mind and pull the levers. We can be under his influence, We can be led by him. We can do a lot of things, but he is still limited by God. But he's still powerful. Satan is a powerful being. Well, the angels observed in heaven Satan. Satan wanted what God had, and Satan was expelled from heaven. And not just Satan, but also some of the demons or some of the angels that went with him. And the Bible says that in the church... In the church, in Jesus Christ, in the church, that the angels of heaven found out about God's plan to save us and give us a second chance. And he didn't give the angels a second chance. You better stop and roll that around in your mind a minute. Because I had to do it in mind the first time I heard it. In fact, the first time I heard it was from Glenn Osborne. I don't know why I've read over this my whole life. I don't know why I, I haven't known this my whole life, but one thing I know this. He does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. I love this, this whole thing. I don't know, will it, it'll flip around on me, won't it? Can I flip it around right now while it's on? It'll do it. It'll, it the, the wheels will do it. Okay. Well, I want to draw something for you. I can't do it because I've got PowerPoint. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. No, no, no. We're good. We'll, we'll, we'll just not tempt fate here. Uh, That's fine. I think if I start spinning it around those cords may twist and you may not have PowerPoint for the rest of the week So we're just going to use your imagination There was a man named Abraham and God made a deal with Abraham And the deal God made with Abraham was not because Abraham was a perfect man But God was going to bring Jesus into the world through his bloodline Abraham was faithful. There were times where God asked him to be who he needed him to be And he was that man for that moment. He wasn't perfect, but he was amazing in that way He was a man that would literally do anything to serve God. And God would even say about his faith upon occasion, now I know who you are. A lot of us, we get moments, we get in a bind, and, and God knows who we are and it's not who we want Him to be. So all these people throughout time From Genesis 12, 17, 18, 22, there's where you get major promises that God made to Abraham. It had to do with a variety of things, but mainly, you're going to be my people. And anybody that's going to be blessed, I'm going to bless through your seed. And that seed would come directly to the cross of Calvary. And Jesus is the only one that could claim a superior bloodline to that of Abraham. And he physically was in the blood of Abraham, but the blood of Jesus was greater because now it wasn't just the physical blood of the Jews that was now available. It was the blood of jesus christ and his blood is available now to all men everywhere so truly you serve and look at a god tonight that keeps his promises first to abram before he even had children his name was changed to abraham and it came down the line to jesus and now to all men everywhere he says go preach the gospel to every creature doesn't matter who you are and where you are god is a god that makes himself available to you and we still get back to this idea of the angels you imagine what those angels thought about why it is that God chose you and he didn't choose the angels? Why does God give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a 15th chance with whatever it is that's going on in your life? Why does that happen? Why does he not give the angels that? Well, the angels obviously were not subject to the same level of temptation that we are. All right? They were in the presence of God. They knew God. The Bible says any man that has seen God, he's never lived to tell about it, basically. We're not dealing with a God that is confused about who's in authority and control. We're not dealing with a God that is confused about any kind of American political system or somebody that thinks they're so smart because they've got 16 degrees behind their name. We're dealing with a God that understands that He is higher than us, smarter than us, wiser than us, and His ways are above us. And it would do us well to understand what Satan did not understand. And that is sometimes what we want, which is to know what he knows and the why behind what he knows. We want him to keep that in his mind because when Satan lusted after that and wanted that position and he wanted that power, it caused him to be expelled and angels with him. And in our frail state sometimes where we don't understand why it is that we're getting kicked in the teeth by life, there's a little passage down here. It says this, He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And then He says, He was made like you so that He could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself has suffered being tempted, He is able to aid those who are tempted. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. That same system that I told you about of Abraham and the promises of blood there were sins that people in the seed of Abraham had. They had sin in their life, just like we have sin in our lives. So they came along and there came to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel and he had 12 boys. And so that's how you got the 12 tribes of Israel just catching you up on Bible history. And those, all those tribes were amazing in that God would choose and, and bring about Jesus, he would protect his lineage in one of those 12 tribes. Jesus would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. But amidst all that, there was a little bitty tribe named Levi. And of the Levites, they, began, they became the priests. Let me tell you, tell you why that matters to you today. The priest or the Le- Levitical priesthood, they would come and you as a person in the Old Testament, you would bring an animal sacrifice. That's what you were supposed to bring. And when you would bring that sacrifice, you had to bring it to the temple. And the temple was a place where the Levites hung out and they offered worship to God and they offered sacrifice for you. You weren't qualified to offer that sacrifice. I mean, you you did, but the priest would do it for you. And then there was another guy. His, His lineage came from Aaron, the brother of Moses, and he was the high priest. So you had the, the little tribe of the Levites that all the other tribes supported so they could do the work of the temple and the worship of God and offer animal sacrifices. They literally offered blood that would roll forward their sins till the next year. And there was a high priest of Aaron's lineage that would go into the most holy place where God was. And it was kind of a, just for lack of a better illustration, it was kind of looked like the measurements of this communion table right here. It had cherubim's, angels' wings that would come up over it and the high priest knew what was inside of it. It was was something that God had ordained to be built and there was a pot of manna that had uh, never spoiled and there was Aaron's rod inside of it and the the law, literally the tablets of stone that God had written upon were inside inside of this box. It was the sitting place of God. Nobody had ever seen it before. Nobody had ever seen it before, ever. And the high priest would go in and he would cleanse himself and take a big bath, basically. And he would go in and he would offer animal blood for his own sins and the sins of the people. If you read uh, about 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews. And he goes in and he offers this sacrifice and he's so afraid in that moment that the oral tradition of the law was that they, they put a rope around his leg and they put a bell on him to make sure he was still kicking in there. That's how much trepidation and how much nervousness there was about this situation. You know the difference in that and today? Let me tell you the end of the story of what Jesus did. You know when Jesus died on the cross, you know the first thing that happened? That holy of holy place where only the high priest went, there was a curtain that separated. it. Nobody had ever seen inside of it. Nobody knew what it looked like. The very first thing that happened whenever Jesus gave up his life is that veil, that big thick veil was, was rent. It was torn from the very top to the bottom, and people saw into the physical, most holy of holy places they had never seen before. Again, why is that such a big deal for you? Today the Bible says that you're a priest. And that Jesus is your high priest. And of all the things you experience, He is able to communicate with the Father to either fix it for you or to give you strength to go through it. He knows exactly what you're going through. You know, the hardest thing that young people, I I work at a school and they'll come in and a lot of times there'll be some stressful situation going on at home. And there'll be some counselor that's paid to try to help them. And there'll be one or two kids every year that just basically say, you have no idea what I'm going through. You don't get it. And for a lot of reasons, that's right. Sometimes that's exactly right. I don't know. But I can tell you, you'll never be able to get on your knees and talk to God and fail to have one concrete truth and it's this when you approach god it is a magnificent and awesome thing that jesus made available for you and when you get on your knees you're not doing it through some veil you're not doing it through somebody else no other man the bible says you have the opportunity and privilege to come boldly to the throne of grace you have a perfect high priest that as you pour out your heart to god he understands it and he encapsulates it And He takes it to the Father, and the Father in His own way, however that works. And the how and the why, I don't get. But I know this, that He strengthens His own, and that every spiritual blessing He will pour out on you. And it only happens in Christ. That only happens in Him. That only happens when you are a priest somebody that has been saved by Jesus, somebody that is able through whatever problem you're going through to come to Jesus. We notice our brother and I who led a beautiful prayer prayed at the end of it in the name of Jesus. Why is that? We're taking all of our petitions and we're putting it to the most powerful being that we know. And that's Jesus. And he takes it to the Father who has never put on flesh and blood and he makes the Father understand what we've gone through. You can't get that anywhere else. And when the Hebrew writer says what he says here, that he's able to aid the seed of Abraham, that is a magnificent promise, and it's something that we ought to thank God for every single day, that he is a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. God sent his son Jesus to make sons. That is incredibly Valuable for us tonight. Well, keep them going. Jesus said in one occasion, "I am the light of the world." In John eight and twelve, by the way, if you can't see this tonight, let's have a vision checked after church. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life." Notice a couple of things in here. I'm the light of the world. You want to follow me? It has some responsibility to it. You've got to be somebody that does not walk in darkness. None of us are perfect. We hear a lot of times, okay? Now, what's the difference in somebody that is saved and somebody that's a sinner? Are they one and the same thing? There's a the difference. Here it is. Whenever I am a Christian and I mess up, I got to fix that. Whenever I'm not a Christian, I just mess up. There's a difference. If I, if, if I take this step down here and I'm on my way out of this pulpit, I'm not quite out of it yet. That's kind of a picture of uh, temptation, how it works. Satan tries to lure me. This next step I take, now I'm I'm down here. I'm I'm on this floor right here. I got a couple of choices to make. I'm either going to keep walking on this path, or the next step I take, I'm going to take right back up in where I should be. When God dealt with men like Cain, he would tell them sin is at the door. Sin is at the door. When he was about to murder his brother, he says, sin is at the door. There are times where you get to this moment and you realize, hey, it matters my next step. Well, Jesus is not talking about some momentary lapse in judgment. He's not talking about even one specific sin that we may have committed in the past. He's talking about the way we live our life. And the way we live our life is a pattern. He says, you don't walk in darkness, but you have the light of life. You know how people who want to get away from Jesus. Jesus said in John 3, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You don't go around. You don't want to be around. That's the challenge of it all when it comes to this. And we've got to be a people that want to be in the light. Listen to what he said about us. In Christ, we light up the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He keeps going. This is this passage. You were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. There it is. A holy nation, His own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. How is it that you show other people the life that you're living? He said, Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm convinced that Christians, whenever Christians decide that they're gonna live in the light of God's Word, it makes an incredible, powerful impact. In Matthew chapter 5, he said two things about about light. He, He described us as light and salt. Light and salt. And he also would describe the fact that if we don't know who we are, sometimes we're good for nothing. If if we're salt that is not salty, he said, what do you do with it? You throw it out and walk on top of it. We've got to remember our purpose. And our purpose in life is to make our God famous. How do we do that? We live not a selfish life, but a selfless life trying to bring honor and glory to him. It's not that we try to get get accolades for ourselves or somebody to brag on us. But he says that whenever you do good works, it glorifies your father. What's the difference in people in Matthew chapter six? He would say that if you do good things before men to be seen of men, you have your reward already. What did he mean by that? Two things. On one hand, he says, look, there ought to be a moment where you glorify your father in heaven with the good works of your hands. In another case, it's like nobody ought to know about it what's the motive of our heart what are we trying to live for when you're a good person and you do the right things and you're trying to live under the control of Jesus Christ you're doing it so he gets glory you're not doing it so your name can be in the newspaper and you can be on the silver or the gold club whatever it is for some some organization that raises money and does good things It's perfectly fine to be a part of all those things what I'm saying is this What we've got to be is whenever we're in our circle of friends and wherever we're around the people that we're around, we're a light. We're a place that people know they can come to to find Jesus because we're the closest thing to the Bible and Jesus that they're going to find. Now that's humbling to me because I certainly don't feel worthy to ever know that. But here's what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. What did he say before that? He said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Do you know the key ingredient to everything that we're talking about? Follows me. People know if you're following Jesus Christ or you're following your own ego. People know if you're following the Son of God or you're following your own plans and your own ideals about things. But we're supposed to make Jesus famous. We're supposed to proclaim the praises of Him in a dark world with marvelous light. Well, Jesus said, I am the vine." I am the true vine, he said. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You were already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, For without me... You can do nothing. He keeps on going. The Bible says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Who's the vine? Jesus that I am. What are you? Well, he said, you... Are the branches? What's your expectation? The very purpose of our existence, we've got to bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, he's going to take it away. If you don't bear fruit, it's basically one of those things where he's he's picturing the idea of somebody that if if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. We're literally, it's, it's like we're either plugging in or we're cutting loose. Are you plugged in? Are you plugged into Jesus? Are you plugged into what he's trying to feed you and how he's trying to fuel you? Are you plugged into him and his church? Are you plugged into other people's lives? Jesus said, if you've not done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've not done it unto me in Matthew chapter 25 in the judgment day scene. Jesus holds you accountable. He holds me accountable. That how we treat others in the body of Christ is exactly determining how close we are to him. In other words, if I'm not plugged into him, I'm not plugged into anybody else's life. And one of the greatest illustrations I can show you is how plugged in are you when you come to the assembly of God's church? Because in Hebrews 10:24, the Bible says one of our jobs is to provoke one another unto love and good works. Why is that? Because when you serve each other, even the least among you, the Bible says you're serving Jesus Christ and the fruit the fruit that you bear he said my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so will you be my disciples how much fruit do you bear what kind of fruit are we talking about i think he had in mind a lot of things but one thing in particular that comes to mind is this the bible says in second peter chapter 1 beside all di- or beside this giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He said, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall need to be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the fruit he wants from you. Now, is that one of those deals? I used to think about it, well... I'm going to work on this part of that list. <laughs> well, that's great. I, look, I, I'm not trying to discount anybody's efforts to live a spiritual life. I'm not discounting anybody's efforts to say, okay, these, these are the fruit of the Spirit. I need these things. It's very obvious. For example, there are some times where love is used as a checklist. In fact, it's the number one checklist. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1-4, he would say, if you don't have love... I don't care what else you have. You're nothing but a bunch of noise. In fact, you're getting in the way. And that's pretty, that's pretty serious. Not pretty serious. That's very serious. Not very serious. That's the most serious. So yeah, there are times where you can have a lot of things down pat and you can be doing a lot of things right and you can, you can have all the form of it down. But if there's something inside of your heart that's missing called love, you, you basically are a waste of, of time right then. For yourself. And so he reminds us of that. Not that he's trying to throw anybody away. He was just illustrating the fact that if I have faith to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am literally as a clanging cymbal or a gong. That's how much value it is. What am I getting at? Here it is. When you try to live like Jesus and you get up and you serve Jesus and you confess him every day, you're going to want to please him and you're going to want to be who he wants you to be. And when you have a relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, when you listen to their word, what you're going to find out is when you every day, every, every moment, every hour, every worship service, every week, every month, every year, you're going to find that there's going to be growth in you and that growth is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from whenever you plug into the vine and God gives what He gives little by little. None of us are equipped. None of us will ever be Perfectly Jesus Christ. But the fact is, that's our goal every, every year. That's our goal. We want to be like Him. We want to treat other people like Him. We want to act like He does. We want to do what God wants us to do just like He did. We want to say, I don't understand. I don't get it. But if this is the will of God, I'm going to do it. That's the people that we have to be. There are going to be plenty of times where the, the, the flesh wants to creep up and, and shout I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times where things aren't right or I don't particularly like them and it's easy to get angry and I would confess my weakness to you very quickly and, and, and rapidly when I say, it's easy for me to get angry and I could say, well, you know, my did you know His people? Oh my, they're just hotheads. No, what the Lord wants is He wants me to plug in to where I'm able to crucify the flesh. Well, he, you know, he shoots his mouth off a lot, and, and he says things, and uh, you know, that's just kind of how he is. The only one that's ever been able to say I am who I am is Jesus Christ, and you're not him, and I'm not him. We've got to conform. We've got to try to put Christ on. We've got to make sure that we do exactly what the scriptures say. When you're baptized, the Bible says you're baptized into Christ and you put on Christ. Of all the clothing things you'll ever hear about, that's the most important clothing you'll ever put on. When the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be clothed with humility, what was he talking about? He's asking us to put on the very garments that Jesus put on when he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. It's impossible to teach and coach a proud and an arrogant person. It is not only possible to coach an humble person, you can Change them and you can guide them and you can lead them and you can make them greater than they ever thought they would be. And that's exactly what God wants to do in us. Plain, plainly, spe- plainly speaking, tonight, we got to plug into the vine. If we're going to produce the fruit and be what God wants us to be, and He's not happy with a little bit of fruit, He's happy with a lot of fruit. What kind of fruit do we give Him on a daily basis? I got to go on. I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Last night we talked about this a little bit. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and have known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I also must bring that they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. What image do you have of this man? Do you have some sort of an idea of Jesus being some sort of a mealy-mouthed guy that never ever had any emotional output whatsoever, that he didn't have any calluses on his hands? I hope not. Jesus was a carpenter and he was 30 years of age. He was in the prime of life, between 30 and 33. We're talking about somebody that knew how to handle wood every day. But I hope you have an image of somebody that's, that's, that's this. And that's a blurry picture because our imagination's pretty blurry and I could probably get a more vivid picture. But I want you to use your imagination for just a moment and I want you to think about the fact that almost 2,000 years ago he tried to make eye contact with you and say, I'm doing this for you. I'm laying down my life for you because there's nothing you could ever do. You could not do what I'm doing. You could not ever accomplish all that I'm accomplishing. You see, all from the thorns to the stripes to the crucifixion to the nails to the awful of it all, none of us could ever do what Jesus did for us. I'm the good shepherd, he said. I'm doing this for you. And almost 2,000 years ago, he has always tried to lock eyes one soul at a time as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. And tonight he's doing the same thing. And he's trying to appeal to those that had walked away from him, to those that were away from him in some way, shape, form, or fashion. There was the apostle Peter. I think about Peter a lot. I've talked about him already tonight. I think about Peter as he was dejected in that moment where he realized That he had told people he didn't know Jesus three times. And the last time he cursed and swore. And he made eye contact with Jesus. The man just a few hours previous had swore to the Lord, I will never deny you. And now when the Lord is going through the mockery of a trial and almost to this point, he denies it. Of all the things that you may have done in your life, of all the things you will ever do, I'll promise you as a human being to another human being, I don't care what they are. I don't care what they are. If you feel judged, if you feel left out, if you feel somehow that somebody's done you wrong, I'm sorry about that with all that I have within me. But I know one thing for sure of all the mistakes that other human beings have made to get in your way and, and cause you harm or do whatever it is to you, there is a Savior that almost 2,000 years ago has tried to make eye contact with you and is still trying today through the preaching of the Word of God. And again, His eyes are up on you tonight. And if there's stuff you need to fix, you need to fix it because He is worthy of fixing it. He is worthy of your surrender. He is worthy of absolute and total allegiance. And He's still the Good Shepherd. And he's still laying down his life for his sheep. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Last night we talked about this a little bit too. Martha Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said unto her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Do you believe that tonight? You see, the very fact that he proved he was risen from the grave gives him the power to say, I can make you get up out of that ground one day. You're going to have a six-foot hole dug for you in the ground. It's going to be a real crude uh, tractor that does it. They're going to dig it. They're going to put you in a box, and they're going to put you in the ground. And that's something to worry about unless you have something beyond this life. You see, he plainly says that you can begin a relationship that though he may die, he shall live when you're in Christ, you start a relationship that is eternal. It gives you the ability to look to that moment where you have to give up life and you've got to get in that hole in the ground that's coming to all of us. And you know that you have served the one who is the resurrection and life. You know that with all that you have. And you know, just like He was risen from the grave, He's going to raise you up at the last day as well. He said, I'm the way. The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father except through me. Do you believe that today? Is there a way you have figured out to to God except through Jesus? I hope not, because He is the perfect expression of objective truth. He is the one that gives us the greatest experience and the greatest life that we could ever imagine. And He is the way. He's the only way. In fact, there is but one way. The plan of God is simple, to hear the Word of God to believe it and repent of our sins, to confess Him as the Son of God and be baptized. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never done that. Maybe you've never known what it is to hear the Word of God and to hear Jesus being preached. But Jesus has been preached and He's been preached now for almost 2,000 years. And what he is, when He is preached, here's what happened. The Ethiopian nobleman that was coming along on the way home from Jerusalem from worship... Philip the evangelist was sent by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't get a better illustration of salvation than when a preacher gets a message from the Holy Spirit to say, Go preach to this guy. So here he goes. He's going down and this guy's riding along. He's reading out loud from Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't know Isaiah chapter 53, it's that that impressive uh, picture of the horrible death of Jesus. And he's reading it out loud, and the preacher, Philip, says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, How can I accept some man guide me or teach me? And he climbed up into that chariot, and the Bible says he began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The Bible says they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And notice the condition. Listen, not everybody's going to be baptized. The condition was this. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They commanded that chariot to stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Listen to what happened next. This is how important it is. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, caught away the preacher Philip so that the eunuch saw him no more. But listen to what happened to the eunuch. The Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. Who brought joy to his life? Jesus Christ. God did. If you're here and you've never been baptized, this is not some sort of a ritual that we do and you earn. This is something where God literally operates on the body of sin that you have and all the mistakes you've ever made, and He takes His powerful knife and cuts away all the body of sin. Just like an old circumcision would cut away the skin, He says this is a spiritual circumcision where we literally cut away the old man. He relieves you of all the responsibility of anything and everything you've ever done wrong. And only the name of Jesus can do that. Tonight, if you've never known what it is to know Jesus... We invite you. We invite you to call upon Him as your Lord and your Savior and as the Son of God. To confess Him before men. That you make your your mind up, listen, I'm going to fix it with God. Because I promise you, you don't have to fix it with me. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe any other human being anything. You owe God something. You owe it to Him to honor His Son. You owe it to Him to listen to His Son. You owe it to him to follow his son. And if you find yourself away from Jesus, there's a couple of hands that opened up almost 2,000 years ago on a cross. And he has never stopped saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And of all the things you're running from and of all the things you're scared of and all the things you have fear of in your heart, God can take away the greatest fear that has ever existed in any man or woman's heart. And it's that fear of what am I going to do when I meet God? Because one day you can know him as your father and you can know him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Doesn't that sound amazing? Unworthy we are. Special? Oh man. God did not send his son to die for losers and people who have no value. You have amazing value. Won't you let God do His work? Won't you let God save you? Won't you let God wash away your sins? Won't you let Him write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Won't you do that tonight? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at...